Hi everyone, I'm Justin from Bad Cat Games and I'm here having a chat with the Legends of Tabletop crew. Hey everybody, this is John. And this is Vince. And you're listening to Legends of Tabletop. Creating legends one die at a time. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, usually it's evening, but we've got a, uh, a special mid-afternoon podcast today. This is episode 94, if you can believe it. And we've got Justin on today from Bad Cat Games. How's it going? It's going pretty good. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us on. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You guys got a really cool Kickstarter going. But uh, before we jump into kind of the, uh, the soup to nuts there, uh, just yeah. kind of get some general information from you because we don't often have people on from the UK. So uh, you guys are in winter right now. I was I was wondering, you know, how, how, uh, how, uh, uh, fuck, I'm already losing it. <laughs> how bad are your winters there? You guys generally get like a lot of snow and stuff or how does that, uh, how does that shake yeah. out? It's um, no, it's not too bad. Not where we are. We're um, pretty much where we're based is pretty much halfway between Glasgow and Edinburgh, which is very much in this the sort of southern part of Scotland, I suppose. Um, so north of us is all the hills. So yeah, they've they've been hit by the snow. Hasn't been bad this uh, this winter, but of course we've just had this storm Doris, as it's called, uh, mm. that blew across, and uh, that's shaken up um, the traffic and stuff like that. But no, we're we're very close to the uh, Firth of Forth, the river, which passes Edinburgh. So we tend to get decent, uh, you know, a bit better weather down here. So um, yeah, you know. Uh, Scotland, you think, you know, be really snowed up, but it's not not like Scandinavia or anything like that. It's it's pretty mild nowadays, to be honest. So yeah. it's just, you know, hits the grindstone. We keep going. Nothing slows us down. Sure, sure. That's the way you got to be. You, you guys are, are uh, kind of spread out all over there. Um, how hard is that when you're, you know, like, say, trying to play test, you know, you've got a game on Kickstarter and things. How, how difficult is it to, to bring people together and try to get, you know, get some games going? Yeah, it is. It can be quite hard. Yeah, because um, we do. We have a fair number of groups, but they tend to be quite insular because the um, where they are based is quite split apart from each other. It's not so easy to get to. So um, yeah, sort of playtesting and meeting new groups and that sort of thing. If they're not in the cities, then it's really quite hard to do. So that's obviously where we head into England and um, head south and uh, meet up with different groups there. But um, you know, the big shows basically like Dragon Meet we have in December down in London, of course, UK Games Expo, uh, which we're super hyped because we're uh, going to be exhibiting there for the first time this year. So I've been I've been myself and some of the gang have been uh, for a number of years now. Um, but uh, it's the first time we'll be exhibiting as Bad Cat Games and actually demoing the first two games that we've got. So we're super hyped for that. That's really cool. <laughs> Good deal. Uh, are yeah. you... Uh... Oh, go ahead. Oh, it's just, yeah, it's it's one of these things, you know, that um, you, you you get to a point where you think, right, enough of the playtesting, enough of the tweaking of the games. We've just got to get out there and play it with the, as many people as possible. And, and these shows, I mean, UK Games Expo, okay, it's not Gen Con or anything yet, but um, it's it's growing exponentially every year. And the guys that run it are doing an amazing job. I think this last year was the 10th anniversary, and they got something like 25,000 visitors over the three days, which just is, for us, uh, based where it is down in Birmingham, it's just wall-to-wall -wall people 
all day. It sort of sounds a bit like Essen, basically. Um, but those people are super excited. And, and it's all range of different ages and, and um, sort of attitudes to gaming as well you know you see families you see you see guys with rucksacks on their back sort of squeezing past to have a look at something on a, a table and then you see a dad going along with a six-year-old sort of on his shoulders as well and they stop to have a look at stuff so it's it's a great vibe so we're just so chuffed to be involved in that from now on hopefully cool that's really cool what what is it so aside from those cons and stuff like that then uh how how is the gaming industry over in the uk up in you know scotland specifically where you guys are at uh the gaming industry i think is is very much uk wide i don't think we could really split it between say scotland as a separate country and sure. uh, and so england but um no it's 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 on the it's on the up definitely and uh some of the companies that are really sort of making a name for themselves now sort of in the uk i think we've probably had more of a tradition of um, role-playing games and role-playing game companies um but i have to remember um or uh, speak about uh, itb games and um their subterra um project the campaign that was just on uh, um was just hang on a second i've got somebody skyping me so i'll just <laughs> kill them there we go and uh, yeah so so itb and the the sub terra crew um did amazingly well on kickstarter this last month and and i think you know more of more of those kind of projects um being noticed internationally is going to be great for the the overall uk scene and um the sort of the tabletop gaming scene as opposed to the role-playing side so yeah it's on the up and of course we've got essen um which a whole group of us piles over to every October um, nice. and that that is fantastic so you know because I mean for those guys down in south of England they've only got say well that's about two two three hours or something um to be able to get across there to Essen obviously a lot further add on another six hours for us but um you know that for them that's awesome to be able to do that and I think the the talk is that we're really going to push for having a much bigger presence the sort of UK um group of game designers game companies um having more of a a presence in essen in the future which i think would be fantastic cool very cool all right uh, how long has bad cat been around as an entity and and kind of what's the story behind it how did you guys decide to to put that together uh well bad cat is very new um having said that you know i've been i've been pulling um ideas for games together for for donkey's years you know i've sort of been always tweaking designing games i suppose but um it's only really i'd say in the last three years that we really got together uh, myself and a, a group of gaming friends um and we do tend to do a lot of role playing as well there's a larger group that we have here just quite local to us um, and they're sort of involved, which is great because I can bounce ideas off them. And, you know, we approach them and say, right, we need some more playtesters. And they all groan and eventually give in and, and help us out. But, yeah, but um, Bad Cat, uh, yeah, has been sort of around uh, for a couple of years. But it's really only now, you know, with this, this is our first project. You know, Elements is our first project, first of many, hopefully. Um, so that's when we really needed to actually put a name on ourselves and um you know have a have much more of a presence so so yeah it's quite we're quite young really but uh, the idea of bad cat that um yeah that's an unusual one um i was toying with ideas to do with frogs actually because i happen to keep 
happen to keep tropical frogs. You'd think that's a strange thing in Scotland, but uh, you know, as long as you keep them warm, they finally don't know any different. Um, so I really wanted to sort of come up with a, a company name that had something like Blue Frog or something like that. And then looking on the web, there's loads of places that have frog and blue frog and you know happy frog and stuff um all over the place and uh, so i thought well that's completely pointless so uh and it so happened that i've got an old moggy here that um in the office that that comes in and just usually lunch times when i'm trying to get something done on the computer and she'll come and sit on the keyboard and just stare at me we've got of pictures course. on instagram of her actually doing that and i just thought you know what bad cat bad cat games that'll be fine shove her off the table get on with my work so <laughs> that's where it came from really simple um but it's it's catchy hopefully you know it sticks in people's minds so um yeah that's what it's all about eh? yeah no i i, I like it it's it's a simple logo but it you know kind of sticks out i it seems like gamers generally speaking are cat people and maybe it's you know role players or maybe it's more you know the cthulhu crowd that we hang out with or, or cat people i have cats and he is a bad cat <laughs> yeah so. yeah most most of them are and yeah it's yeah it's odd actually the number of um sort of well i remember my daughter saying that um, almost immediately the, when the internet actually became a sort of entity that everybody was using, suddenly there was a massive splurge of cat pictures and, you know, that went all over the internet as a kind of, you know, urban legend. So, um, so I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. And there's loads of people on Instagram that as soon as I pick up, put up a picture of the bad cat that uh, everybody starts sort of um, commenting, getting involved, which is really funny. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of gaming companies out, out there that that have have names that are quite generic i feel and um it's so i think you know because because the market is expanding so rapidly and there are so many new companies coming out all the time that i think you know you've really got to you've got to use every trick in the book to be noticed so um so we'll see how it goes Yep, yep. Well, it's funny. You, you have frogs. I used to keep uh, iguanas. At one point, I had five oh, iguanas awesome. in my house. Yeah. <laughs> I had the longest I had one. I raised her from a baby, uh, and she was about eh, about five and a half feet. I finally got rid of her. I had her for about eight years. Ah, what was the reason for getting rid of her? Just getting uh, too large? No, she had her own bedroom, but uh, my <laughs> wife at the time got pregnant, and you know we kind of needed that back bedroom, so that was... Uh. That was sort of the end of things, but she was like a litter box train for the most part. Uh, it was it was interesting. Yeah, uh, they're quite. Yeah, they do. Uh, they do get pretty large. Those things, and I've mm. I've managed to keep my daughter off. Um, she's kind of kind of more interested in snakes now, so uh, I suppose they're they're potentially more manageable than uh, than these large lizards. Yeah, I, the snakes, that never cut the mustard, either when I was living at home or when I was married. Was, We're not having any snakes in the house. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, so as I was going through the website there, you guys have four watchwords for game design. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, yeah, I think certainly for us, I think um, accessibility and sort of openness, the style of games. I mean, we're all gamers and we, we love all the different games. We're huge miniature games fans. We're 
we're quite keen Wargamer fans. You know, we all used to go through Space Hulk and Warhammer 40k and Warhammer Fantasy Battle, and we did all of that stuff. And, um, you know, some of the guys have gone into more Battlefleet Gothic and, and those kind of, you know, big spaceship battles. Some of them are X-Wing fans, that kind of stuff. But um, but the Wargaming is really only one side of it. And uh, we all, there's so many different styles of games out there that I think um, what we're trying to do is just find games that we find intriguing that are as accessible to po- to people and the different age groups as well, I think is really important as well. So Elements itself as an example is um, pitched very much as a family-friendly game, I'd say, because um, there's no mechanics in there that are not hard to grasp. It's not too complicated. And yet at the same time, you know, we love playing super complicated Euros um you know the sort of um agricola and beyond style of games as well um that you know are a lot more thinky than uh, than um some of the games that sort of we're designing but i think that's really important because what i always like to say is that the the game the kids of today can be the gamers of tomorrow and of course those are the ones that, that will be going out and buying all our games and everybody else's so you know you, you want to encourage them so um it's worth mentioning here as well that uh, something that we're um, we're doing as well is we support um, a gaming club at the local school, um, which is something we'd like to roll out across central Scotland if we could, if we got enough interest. Um, and that's great because you can see how the the ones that really get into the games, you can see how they're actually learning without realizing it as they're as they're going along. So I think that's really important. And so you know to be all to have games that are all inclusive, I think um, you know to the widest aud- audience is really important but that's not that doesn't mean that we're not going to do some really complicated games in the future you know we all we already want to go back to the uh, the kind of mythos as somebody called it of the elements world you know and the these four alien races these cultures um you know and look into them and look into their history a bit more and we plan to do that in a much bigger sort of more intensive euro style of game in the future okay cool and and theme obviously very important for you guys in, in designing and, and I guess probably also in playing then as well when you make your choices to be like, hey, I want to, you know, take this game and as opposed to this game. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, um, I think, yeah, certainly, certainly for me and Jason as designers and the other guys, to be fair, too, um, it's the theme is is what catches our attention first. You know, the theme feeds through to the artwork and it's the artwork to be honest that we all see first when we go into the shop you know our local shop um just up the road in sterling um common ground games it's a quick shout out to them uh you know you go into there and you've just got such a wealth of different games i i go in like a i'm like a, a schoolboy in a in a sweet shop you know mm-hmm. you just sort of go in and my mouth drops open i'm thinking all these games that i haven't even heard of <laughs> i'm supposed to know about this stuff and uh, yeah, so um, so the and I think the so the the theme and therefore the artwork, you know, really feeds directly into people's consciousness. And then the you know, and the mechanics, obviously, they're going to pick up later by reading the rules. But it's what catches them right at that moment that's so important. So, so certainly for us as designers, it's the theme first, and the mechanics follow. Okay. Well, so let me ask you this. When I had James Ernst on, uh, Ernest on, uh, we talked a little bit about yeah. Splendor, which he despises. Um, and, the, and the theme is is pretty much just kind of pasted on, right? I mean, there's, it doesn't really affect the game in any way 
you know, in a, in a real material yeah. sense. But I love that game so much because it, it just, it, you know, everybody's kind of going along and like all of a sudden it just escalates like all of a sudden. And it's like, Oh my God, he's, you know, one more card. We got to block this guy or whatever. It, it's just, and we, I, we've just played and played a ton. So how do you feel about a game like Splendor where the, the theme right. you know, has a lot yeah, less yeah. to do with the game, you know? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You're putting me on the spot here now. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so one of my uh, co-designers who's down in England, a longtime friend, he was the one that we used to play at, uh, down in uni. Um, all the sort of really early games, workshop games like uh, Fury of Dracula and stuff. You know, we were there right at the start when these games came out, like Judge Dredd and Block Mania and crazy stuff like that. And um, yeah, and so <laughs> there you go. And uh <laughs> We're just talking about cats, yeah, yeah, um, yeah and uh, and so sp- he was. The, well, I saw them at UK Games Expo this last year, and they all said, "I said, right, guys, what is the game for me to get today?" And they all went, "Splendor, go and get it. It's fantastic." So I went straight out. We bought it. We opened it up, set it out, and we had a blast. We, you know, there was about four or five of us. We all had a blast playing. I was going, "Yeah, this is clever. This is a clever game." And I brought it back and played it with the rest of the gang. And we all sort of started to feel, what's this all about? Yeah, you're collecting gems. And the mechanics of the game really, as you've just described, they really they really just fit, you know, uh, everybody links together in, in what they're doing and what they're trying to achieve. But for me, it was, it, yeah, absolutely. It was very much that the theme was just sort of tagged on. It could be, you could be doing anything. It's, it's just a numbers game on cards. Right. Um, so... So to be fair, to be honest, I think Splendor is a great game for certain kinds of people, but it just doesn't rub uh, the itch that I have um, for for the, exactly the reasons you point out. Yeah. Okay. But, Interesting. You know. Yeah. So I think I think you know, and I've heard that a lot on the web as well. You know, you, they, there's really two camps: there's those that absolutely love Splendor and can't understand why other people don't like it, and then there's those, as, as your your guest said, you know, that just yeah, it's a fun game, perhaps, but it just uh, um, just doesn't press the button for people. Right. And everybody games for different reasons, right? I mean, everybody has, you know, I'll see things come across the Twitter and I'm like, you know, people be raving about it. I'm like, hey, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe it looks good. Maybe it doesn't, you know, and then I'll, you know, start at the YouTube and watch the playthroughs and, you know, kind of try yeah. to get some research and find out like, well, what is it about this game that you know, people are enjoying. And then, you know, like right now, my, my, my aesthetic is, is Oriental games. So like, you know, Severonin, Sun Tzu, Lanterns, like Sura, I just picked up Sura. So like anything that has, you know, that sort of like art style and whatever. Oriental vibe, yeah. Yeah, that's that's where I am right now. But, but for no particular reason, I mean. (laughs) Yeah, so, uh, so I take it you've played Takedo then. I have not played Takedo yet. Oh, you've not played Takedo, right? No. Okay, because that's interesting. Because yeah, I'm totally with you there with the sort of Oriental theme, and I'm still discovering games that just look so lush. They're so beautiful with that kind of artwork that you just have to get them and take them apart and try them out and stuff. But uh, Takedo was another one which uh, Chris, one of the um, Bad Cat crew, um, he got it, and uh, so we sat down and, and I played it with the family because it's always a good test with my kids because my kids have grown up to be gamers basically although they're teenagers now so it's like oh grown dad's bringing out (laughs) another game right we're suddenly busy you know and they disappear but uh, we actually did sit down and play Takedo and they absolutely loved it you know they loved that sort of gentle sort of progression 
from what to me was basically one side of the board to the other side of the board. And I, I don't I think it wasn't the reason that I didn't win, but it was kind of I felt that I was just playing catch up to the rest of them because once they got ahead, they were taking those steps forward. And yeah, it just it just wasn't an experience that I was interested to follow up. And yet the game is looks so beautiful. You know, you really for me, I really wish there would be more uh, that I could do in it, you know. So I'm totally with you. You know, these Oriental games, it can be beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just backed. Uh, well, I, Kickstarter's over for uh, Dow Long. Uh, oh yes, one. I saw that one. Yeah, I saw it too late, unfortunately, to jump in. Yeah, it, it was one of those weird things where it's like I, I jumped on Twitter and was like, "Oh, I you know I backed this game," and I'm like, "Oh, all right, well, it's got the theme I like, so let me go and look." And it was within like the first seventy-two hours, so I got like the early, you know, backer um, stuff. Early, early bird. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh, "All right, cool." <laughs> but they did, but, they did amazingly well, didn't they? Yeah, they did really well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, it was interesting for me. I used to do Tai Chi. I guess probably nobody cares about this, but I used to do Tai Chi. So uh, this, the elements of the game, you know, centered around the Bagua and moving the stones and things like that, just kind of really took me back to things I hadn't really thought about in a while. I was like, oh my god, Bagua! There's a Bagua in the game. Like, oh my god, that's crazy. <laughs> I'm like, I definitely got to do this. You know, even even if we only play it once in a while, like it's yeah, it was just one of those things. Like, yeah, I got I got to do it. <laughs> So for you, it was very much that, uh, um, yeah, that that sort of the the feeling behind the game, and you know, presented in front of you on in a in a board game style that really caught your attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which I think is a really nice way to fit into a game. And so mm-hmm. again, it's the theme. If the theme is so strong, and the mechanics back that up, then then you're onto a winner, absolutely. Right, right, for sure. Uh, so we should probably start talking about your game a little bit here. Uh, so <laughs> Elements was, was created by Jason. Uh, was he, um, so how collaborative of an effort is that uh, with you guys at the shop there? Yeah, well, we, we all sort of pile in together, definitely. Um, so really it was Jason and I that uh, um, really sort of put the game together. Um, and sort of my my inter- my interest in it is again from the mythology sort of size uh, side. You know, I really love that kind of esoteric Eastern religions, um, that kind of background. And um, of course, going through the whole sci-fi fantasy thing over the past thirty odd years, you know, I'm so totally into that. Um, you know, I've never I've never lost that. So. Um, that was that was really fun. But you know, and a lot of people have said, you know, well. Um, you know, elements is is obviously very similar to other games that use the basic air, earth, fire, and water sort of principle. Yeah, it is. Totally agree with that. But we do have this fifth element, this sort of wild element, um, which is included. So it's actually a sort of five-pointed thing, um, which actually fits in with a lot of religions, which I can never remember the names of. But but some of the really early Eastern religions did have. I think that one of the Chinese religions has the um, five elements. I think. Uh, metal is one of them mm-hmm. um so so we really wanted that in the theme but i really wanted to to sort of twist that around and take it and put it on its head so i love the idea that um and i've said this before in other interviews that um the you've got these five elements but that's very much sort of in the in the human psyche uh, certainly in historical times but why wouldn't it also be if we wanted to project that into space on into other sort of um alien cultures if you like so 
yes, it's very similar to other games that use air, earth, fire, and water. But but again, you want to keep it simple so it appeals to the the widest audience as well. If you start saying, you know, we're going to have metal and, and ether and, you know, coming up with these other names, all you're doing is you're changing the names for the same concept. So sure. you might as well keep it, keep it simple. Um, so, but yeah, so the idea of coming up with these, these four different cultures, these four different alien races, and again, spinning on its head. So we're not talking sorcerers and elementalists and you know it's just a magic battle um because we've all been there we've all playing magic the gathering you know everybody likes their fire pyromancer and everybody likes their you know um you know, i don't know what i can't think what a water mage is called but um uh yeah you know it's it's similar sort of thing so we wanted again take that in a different direction so i really like the idea of having shamans um where they're actually summoning a kind of spirit totem but that spirit totem is of their their sort of natural element, if you like. So that's why the four races are very much specific to um, just in the way they look. They're very specific to their um, their sort of natural elements. So obviously, you the the fire dog or the demon dog, as people call it. You know, it's it's a it's a beast that seems to just ooze lava. So there's a natural connection there. You've got the very sort of Cthuloid guy, the Chelonian type um, that's obviously very deep sea. So you've got a connection there. Um, and this sort of the one that I personally really like is the um, the Xyrex, which are the, the green ones, the green aliens, which are very sort of insectoid. Mm. And again, you color them. Um, you color them in the in the natural sort of elements. So green is obviously a natural choice to be able to sp split up your your red, your yellow, your um, your green, and your blue. So it made sense to actually have them this color. But we came up. We really like this idea that um, they're a sort of hive-minded insectoid race that lives on this very sort of dry planet. Um, but it's there's a wealth of crystals that grow there and they actually eat these crystals and then spin the the chemical components out to create these sort of vast web nests that they do and it was funny because once we hit on this kind of idea of shamans doing this stuff and these four alien races they all just diverged from the, each other so fast and they sort of we were almost scribbling furiously writing this sort of history of what these races were and what they were doing so i think for, for us, certainly, that's what makes Element a bit special and a bit different from sort of the traditional games out there uh, that focus on a similar sort of thing. So they're very much shamans, um, and they're coming together. The, the blurb is that they're coming together every seven years. It's because they're, if you've seen the video on, on the Kickstarter page, the, the proper video, the, the big video, um, the trailer, um, you've got these four planets, and each race lives on these four planets but they all surround this fifth planet which is simply called planet z um and it's that one that has this wild energy and the sort of if you want to go into the mythos of it that it's this wild energy from this planet that actually gives life to these other four planets so it's very much a kind of spiritual thing for them to come back together every seven years and to challenge each other for this what we simply call the ascendancy so we like to think that they are they're not combatants in a sense. They're not champions of their race. They're more ambassadors of their race. But it just so happens that they they roll dice. They fight these battles um, to, to find out who's going to be the ascendant uh, race for the next seven years. So, you know, there's a wee bit of story behind it that just makes it more than a, um, a standard kind of, right, I'm taking this monster. I'm going to throw some dice. I'm going to defeat you all and win the game sort of thing. 
right, because right, that's right. been that's been done. Hey, so. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, well, let me ask you this: Is it shaman or shaman? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I say I say shaman, um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that comes from. You guys in America, you, what do you say, shaman? I suppose. I, yeah, I would say shaman probably, but I, yeah, I guess you go either way. You know, depending on local dialect kind of thing. Well, that's yeah. So no, I know. I don't know if it's a dialect thing. It's an odd thing because yeah, I would say shaman. I don't actually know what the other guys say, but uh, the the a guy we know who did the voiceover, who actually lives just up the road from me, he says shaman. And I think if we went down to the south of England, down sort of London and this this uh, southern counties, they would probably say shaman. Mm-hmm. So so I suppose it is dialectual, if that is a word. If not, that's quite a good one. So put that in your dictionaries. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, shaman, shaman, doesn't matter. It's, it's the same with the Z because everybody says to us, you know, okay, it's is it elements? Is it element Z? Is it element Z yeah. or what? And I say, I say, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what you call it. Just you know, buy but, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Just give me your money. <laughs> um, uh, shit. Uh, so one of the big knocks on dice game is just the complete randomness. Uh, what differentiates yeah. elements from other dice games? Yeah, that's a really good point. And uh, for for us very much what the, the mechanic that's important in the game, and this is this is another thing as well, we don't, although it is obviously a dice battling game, we actually prefer to call it more of an energy management game. And the reason for that is because not only do you have these five elements, but the fifth element itself, the element Z or element Z, is a wild element, acts like a joker in the game. So it actually mimics, it's like, I suppose you could call it kind of chaos magic. It would be a similar um, similar connection. And so it's this wild energy that, that each shaman or shaman, should we call them shaman, <laughs> can, uh, can, can pull in and use it to mimic one of the elements that they need. So it actually changes, it morphs into something else. And that allows, that restricts very much that kind of luck and randomness element that you'd get just simply rolling the dice. Because to be fair, I mean, you know, I love King of Tokyo. It's a great game and it's a game we play a lot with the school kids, you know, and it's a good way of getting them into the game because it's so iconic, it's so bright and colorful. Mm -hmm. But for me, to be honest, you're just sitting there, you're rolling a bunch of dice and you're saying, right, I'll keep a few of those and I'll re-roll those and that's it. Damn, I couldn't do anything. You know, and there's been many times where I've seen players knocked out simply because they're having a bad run. So for us, um, Elements is very much trying to get away from that. And by adding in that that wild energy, that that Z on the dice, allowing them to, to mimic the symbols gives you much more flexibility. And then added to that, you've got this mechanic of the totems, um, which is a separate sort of side playboard. And the totems have four slots. They're basically energized with tokens. And the tokens also mimic the four elements, the four basic elements. But they also give you other special functions, like there's a heal function that allows you to actually force another player to reroll their Zs. So they're trying to control that wild energy and use it for doing their combos in the game. But you're actually using your totem to influence and force them to have to reroll those. So you're having an, an, an automatic influence on them as well. So it becomes, as I say, much more of an energy management game in the sense that you're trying to, because an important thing here with, uh, again, with uh, the dice is that the dice are not just a means to an end. The dice are actually the life points of the game. 
because there's lots of games out there obviously you know that if you're if you're battling and it's you're using dice the dice give you attack scores that allows you to attack the other players and they might have hit points or whatever well in in elements again we wanted to make it different so those dice are actually equate to your energy the energy you have to actually challenge the others so every single dice you have is vitally important for you to hang on to as long as you can so that's important because then having the the spirit totem there and with having these extra tokens which shake up the game and give you a lot of tactical choices they allow you to actually do what you need to do but to protect your energy to manage the amount of energy you have because it's a finite pool and there's a finite pool of tokens actually in the game as well. So there becomes um, various sort of strategies. Do you want to burn through a load of tokens really fast and therefore deny the other players access to those tokens? Or do you try and get a decent set of, of sort of special functions in these totem tokens and then hold on to them for the later in the game when other people have burnt themselves out? So there's quite a lot. It's one of those games where you sit down and you basically set it out in 10 seconds and you go, well, this looks relatively simple. I roll the dice, I get some symbols, I can match them up to the scores on the board and I can do some damage to you and I can protect myself and my shields and that's it. But it's not. There's much more to that because as soon as you start thinking, well, what are the other players going to do? Are they likely going to do that? Are they going to be using those Zs? How are they going to use those Zs? Can I influence them in the future, in a future round? Um, you know, and so it becomes much more of a, of a thinky tactical game. But it's not a brain burner as well. What we tend to see is that players playing for the very first time might take, say, half an hour because they're playing very defensively and they're thinking through the tactics. They're thinking, well, you know, they're well aware they only have effectively seven dice to survive. Right. So they're yeah. well aware of every single one they lose. Um, so they'll play through the game a couple of times and before you know it they'll be down to like a 10 minute game because they'll just be you know they'll they'll be into it they'll know what they're doing they've got a strategy they've got the tactics set in and away they go to be mm -hmm. fair the totem part of the game does add on more or less about 10 minutes because there's there's the whole token business and what you do and how you get them back and this kind of stuff but but in a nutshell, you know, it, that's why we say it's a 20 to 30 minute game, really. So it's the kind of thing you want to pull out either as you, at the start of a gaming session or maybe the end of a gaming session. Although we've had playtesters that have, have sat down sort of, OK, we'll take a look at this and then we'll big out, bring out the big boxes, you know, um, like Eclipse or something like that. You know, that's their right. plan. And yet. And yet we've seen them play game after game after game. They just, you know, once they're into it, it's like, damn, you you, you beat me again, right? <laughs> okay, rematch, off we go again, you know, and, and they'll play it all evening, which is fantastic. You know, that's that's what we want to see. Yeah, yeah, that's it. that style of game fits right into my wheelhouse. Like a, you know, like a six-hour Battlestar Galactica game. Well, that may be fun. If I'm going to do that, I would rather you know, play D&D or Rogue Trader or, you know, some sort of an RPG, you know, something that takes place in, you know, 15 minutes to half an hour. You said you could, you know, you kind of get in that groove and you're like, all right, well, I'm going to beat you this time and you just keep playing it or you play, you know, a handful of different games in the same six hour space and, you know, you yeah. diversify and get, you know, different experiences and, and it, you know, kind of gets different while they're all not going to be brain burners, like you say, if you're playing those style of games, mm. but you know, some mm. of them, like even Suro, as simple as that is, when you really start to get to the nitty gritty, all those decisions that you're making, just laying a tile out has big impacts, you know, yeah. as the game goes on. So, you know, it, it does yeah. have that sort of thinky component to it. 
Well, I think, yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's almost, I think it's probably harder to design these shorter games than than sometimes some of the bigger games because, as you've just said, you know, you're, you're, you want to get that same level of thinking, that same level of enjoyment and sort of putting, it's almost like, for me, I enjoy games that put the pressure on me, you know, put the pressure on to actually do well, think it through, you know, it's a challenge. And so I think, you know, these short sort of half an hour games or 40 minute games really, really hit the nail on the head for that, But you know, if they're done well. And yeah, I totally agree with you. You know, I've got, uh, I think we're planning to do a big uh, Twilight Imperium um, game like all day in the beginning of March and uh, it's just funny I, I'm not sure if I'm actually looking forward to it but not <laughs> only for the fact that I haven't played it for ages um, so you know I'll be back to scratch going oh scratching my head like how on earth do you play this but just thinking of the time involvement you know because we're starting I think the plan's to start at 10 but there's not been any mention of when it's gonna finish it's <laughs> like oh don't don't go there don't don't put a time limit on it. So and that's frightening. So I totally agree with you. I'd far prefer to um, to sort of sit down and play a, a number of different games because of course then you're you're allowing every member of the group that's there to play the games to sort of pick out something that they enjoy. And I mm. think that's really good. You know, rather than sort of say, right, everybody, we're going to do this all day, and right. nobody has a choice in it. You know. So yeah, these smaller games are great for that sort of thing. Yeah, it's, I, I have a board game meetup that's kind of loosely associated with the podcast. And that's, I'll uh-huh. throw 40 games in a bin and, you know, go set them all up and break them out. You know, these are two player, these are, you know, two to four or whatever. You know, have at it. Let's, you know, let's play, all, you know, just a ton of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's cool because then, like, say everybody gets a, a chance to pick something, you know, and play at least one game of something, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think... Yeah, absolutely. We we what we tend to do as well. If we have a big uh, game meetup, you know, everybody will bring along their favorite games, and then it's just a vote as to who wants to play what, you know. And and it's quite often the case, you know, if it's a big group that we're going to get two or three games running side by side, you know, and that's great, um, mm-hmm. you know, because everybody does get a choice to actually play what they want to play, um, and not sort of feel pressured that you've almost got to wait until one game is finished before you can actually get out the game that you'd really prefer to play. So (laughs) yeah, I know, I know what that feels like. So (laughs) now does, does meetup. uh, So I, I, we use meetup for, for that function. Does meetup um, have like, you know, a a UK derivative or you guys have that, that option to be able to kind of have that like sort of group, um, uh, you know, functionality where you can find people online. Yeah. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there's the the sort of UK meetup system, um, which is great because that uh, we actually use that in the UK for playtesting as well. Um, or rather, it's the playtesting group in the UK that uses the meetup system to be able to organise stuff. And uh, that's that's really taken off here in Scotland, um, which is superb because um, that is encouraging more designers and more yeah sort of people more in the in the sidelines to actually come out and say yeah hey i'll i'll actually come along i'll i'll bring a game that i've got an idea for or um uh you know i'm i normally sort of play online because there's nobody else there sort of in my immediate vicinity that i can meet up with but you know it sort of encourages that that group social activity which is fantastic so yeah it is it is really starting to take off i think down in england it's uh it's 
it's a bit more established, but certainly here in Scotland, um, you know, it's starting to pick up. So we have regular meetup groups, obviously Glasgow, not so much Stirling in Edinburgh, Dundee. Uh, I think there's one up in Perth. There's certainly a few groups up in Aberdeen as well. So um, and they they sort of cross pollinate from each other as well, which is fantastic, you know, and we, we will travel. So um, sort of part of what we need to do as a business is to is to be there at more and more of these um, these events, you know, just to support them to demo our own games, but also to sort of encourage other people, you know, to bring along games that they won't necessarily have heard of. Because mm-hmm. that, that, that's the problem, I think, as, as being a game designer, you know, you, you live and breathe your own games. So when you go to some of these meetups, you just say, hey, guys, let's play Eclipse or <laughs> yeah. you know, let's, get, let's get out uh, the others, you know, the Eric Lang game. It's like, yeah, let's, let's get the miniatures out and do something utterly different. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so and we do we do definitely take breaks ourselves, and uh, um, you know, so that the what we're doing at the moment, um, we're enjoying going through Mansions of Madness, the second okay. edition. Yep. Yeah, so so that's really nice because it just it's a total unwind for us to do something completely different and uh, and die a lot, but we're used yeah. to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure. I mean, you definitely have to have that that ability to sort of reset and kind of take a step back and recharge the batteries and then, you know, bring fresh eyes and, and you know, new ideas as you're, you know, playing other things and, you know, you know, going through different other scenarios, kind of like just sort of resets everything. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, and, and again, as, as I think it's our duty, if we're trying to be game designers to, to experience as many different games out there as possible, because there's new stuff coming out all the time that that you know we read about we hear about we see on on podcasts and and we just think that's such a clever idea you know that that's it's hard to imagine that anybody would have thought of it and it's just like out of the woodwork suddenly like oh that's so clever so yeah it's i think it's really important to be playing as many different games as possible and i'm a i'm certainly and jason i think too is is a natural born tweaker so I tend to buy shelves and um, buy games um, off the shelves purely because it's it's the mechanics that interest me, and I'll take the game apart and I'll see, okay, well, how does this work? What, you know, and I'll pull out, I'll tease out all of the interesting stuff that intrigues me, and and it's not always there, you know, but pull out the interesting stuff that intrigues me and sort of stash it away in the back of my mind and think, yeah, I'm going to use that in the future. So that's really clever. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm always 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 amazed, you know, and that's that's the f- wonderful thing about our hobby. I think is that is that there is a never ending supply of new stuff to keep us in, intrigued. You know, it's not like uh, learning roller skating or something. You know, you you learn to do it and you go great for a few years, and then it's like, oh, yeah, I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I should I should say to roller skaters that I was always useless. <laughs> Well, I, I can, my brother rollerblades, he used to play roller hockey, ice hockey and all that stuff. I taught him how to rollerblade. Fantastic. I can't do it. I get the Frankenstein thing going. Yeah, I, I, yeah. That's no good. Awesome. <laughs> I understand the mechanics, but I just can't, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, 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 when you're playing games like that, do you, is it is it hard to, not hard necessarily, but is it hard to enjoy games or are you constantly like, oh, I would have done that differently? Oh, you know, oh, well, why is that working that way? Like, is, is that always kind of in the back of your mind when you're playing? 
Yeah, it is. Yeah, certainly for me. <laughs> for me, yeah, but it doesn't. No, it doesn't impinge on my enjoyment of the game. But definitely, yeah, it's that's that is the problem with it is that you are constantly looking back, thinking, "Well, yeah, I can, I'll change that and do that." But then we have this wonderful thing called house rules. Yeah, and yeah. they're great. <laughs> house rules are brilliant. You just have to write them down and get everybody to sign the bottom and say that's what we're going to do from now on. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, definitely, and even even in. Um, you know, even in, in games at the moment that are brand new games that are coming out, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there scratching my head thinking, well, hang on a minute and thumbing through the rules and saying, but this doesn't, this doesn't fit. This doesn't make sense. Why are they doing this? You know, why, why not naming any names, but why? <laughs> no, I got to be careful. Um, but, you know, games and you suddenly think, well, why, why do you only have access to those resources if you go there? Why thematically, surely it would make sense that you could just do something to actually, you know, like use an activation point, for example, to just call them in and you'd get them there. And then, you know, what's this what this what's this need to have to go to a particular location on the board to get this particular resource, which just okay, it might fit with the mechanics, but it kind of breaks the theme a bit. So I would house rule that and saying, no, if you've got like a spare action point or whatever, an activation point, then you can just call in that resource and that's it. You've got it and away you go, you know. So uh, so that was one, the recent one that I'm thinking of. Um, But yeah, house rules, brilliant. We all need them. We love them. All right. Uh, so you, you're talking about the, you know, kind of the, the mythology surrounding the, the game and, and the, and the uh, aliens and things like that. Um, are, are we looking at like potential fiction line down the road? Like you guys have any, any grander plans as far as uh, really developing, you know, this, this sort of story? Uh, well, definitely uh, we'd like to, we'd like to do a big box with the um with that kind of theme behind it that's that story behind it yeah because um and the plan is that it's going to be much more of a cooperative game um so that that is great because what we have planned is that the players themselves will slowly uncover more about the story and more about the background of these four races and the sort of other things that are going on that connects them together um so but no, no further than that. We're not sort of thinking of doing role-playing games or anything. Like that. We've we've actually got another idea for a role-playing game that's um, very much set in the sort of historical fiction of the UK, um, because that's something that we really loved uh, when we did a lot of um, Cthulhu role-playing uh, at university and beyond, and uh, that was always great. You know, um, I can't remember the name of them off the top of my head, but some of those source books for um, Cthulhu 5th edition, I think it was, you know, were, were set in England. That was one in the Severn Valley. And, you know, and, and for us, it's like the stuff that Cubicle 7 has been doing more recently with Shadows Over Scotland. And I think that's what it's called, Shadows Over Scotland. Um, you know, that stuff's great because it's it's it reminds us of the history that we have in this country going back all of these uh, hundreds of years you know and to sort of tap back into that but from a role-playing point of view is 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 a lot of fun and uh, so we have a plan for doing that but that's way down the line you know we're we're a new company we're just finding our feet now you know we're we're trying to make a name for ourselves um put some games out there get some people interested um and then you know we'll see what's what's in the future Sure, sure. Uh, if you're into Cthulhu still, uh, Oscar Rios of Golden Goblin Press is running their Kickstarter right now for uh, Cthulhu Invictus, uh, which is uh, yeah, Cthulhu in Roman era. Yeah. 
So yeah, that looks... That, that looks interesting. Yeah, I don't think that's been done yet, really. Cthulhu in the Roman era. Yeah, but that's the wonderful thing about Lovecraft stuff is you can apply it to any, anywhere in human mm-hmm. history and and you can run with it. And it's just so fantastic. Um, yeah, I think they did a Dark Age setting, but I, I don't think it ever took off very well. And yeah, I don't think um, it went anywhere. All uh, right, yeah. No, I don't know about that one. Yeah, I, I thought so. I, I could be wrong, but I, I thought they did a number of years ago. Um, but, but, so, but it is fascinating. So it's fascinating because, uh, you know, it's the new generations that are coming on. And they're, I think it's a funny thing how Cthulhu has just got so much into the sort of geek culture now that. Uh, that it's actually gone beyond that and people more in sort of mainstream have picked up on it. And, you know, I've got, um, my daughter was saying the other day, she pulled one of my old 1960s copies of Mansions of Madness off the shelf and read it that afternoon in, in school. And the teacher kind of came along and said like, what's that? Is that work? You doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She said, yeah, yes. English. And she said, well, what's the, what's the story? So she said, oh, H.P. Lovecraft is it? Oh, oh I, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> and off she yeah. went. You know, it was kind of you know, it's it's become so prevalent that that you know that the, your average person on the street almost knows about it. And you know, and the the fact that you can get Cthulhu plushies and stuff now just like does my mind in. But mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all great. It's all we love it. Really, we love H.P. Lovecraft. He's real. You get the Cthulhu Yahtzee and Cthulhu Pandemic, and oh, you know, it's just it's all over. <laughs> I know it's just yeah, and and the funny thing is, I don't think it's gonna stop anytime soon. You know, I think I think it's gonna be rolling for decades now that Cthulhu stuff. Well, mm-hmm. I think I think Lovecraft himself would probably be groaning in his grave to see where it's gone. But uh, um, yeah, yeah, you know, it's great. It's great for these companies, you know, producing new stuff. And so yeah, Cthulhu Invictus that sounds really interesting. Let's check that out. Yeah, it definitely looks cool. Um, so for for elements, uh, there's essentially two different games uh, contained within this sing- singular Kickstarter. Uh, the the two player yeah, game plays completely yeah. different than the the three to four player game. Yeah, it does. It's an utterly different game. And what's what's really fascinating for us is that uh, you know we've sent off loads of copies to reviewers, and they tend to come back saying, "Well, you know, we kind of like this version, but we really like the other version, or vice versa." You know, it's so. And the whole reason that we came up with a two-player game is because a few of the playtesters in our local group here um, in Scotland said, "You know, it's a fun wee game, but." we generally only play two player, you know, I play with, um, you know, play games with my wife or something because we don't always have time to, um, to meet up, you know, but it would be a shame. It's a shame that you couldn't do this as a two player. And that got us thinking, we thought, well, why don't we just create a two player and then give, give our customers double them, double for the money, you know? And, uh, and it's a funny thing because yeah, we do get a lot of people coming back saying, saying the three, four player game. Yeah, that's fun, but it's a, it's, it's a wee bit like sort of other battle dice games, but the two-player game is very different because it's a tug of war, um, but uses the same components, but the flip side of the playboards. And uh, and the thing there is a tug of war because again, you've got the concept that the dice are energy, but in this game, it's like a pool of energy which are trying to draw to your side. So, uh, for example, you can use you can use the dice to create combo effects, which allow you to drain dice from your other player, so effectively steal dice from them, or you can drain dice out of 
um, their hand and it goes back into the general pool and then you can access that yourself. So it's so it's kind of an energy tug of war between the two players. And then on top of that, what they're actually trying to do to win is to use their dice to energize this monolith which is sort of, again, part of the backstory. It's this big sort of very 2001, I have to say, you know, this big monolith that sits there on planet Z, you know, and it's the kind of spiritual heart for all of these four races. But um, so the the two-player game is basically you're trying to energize the monolith with your uh, elements, if you like. And so it's a, it's a race to see who gets there first. And so it's a case of creating, of using the combo, sorry, to then lock in the dice so the mechanic there is that the the faster you try and use your dice to lock in dice and energize this monolith, the smaller your pool, the smaller your resources get. So you've got to play a balancing game between trying to drag dice and drag energy away from your opponent, but at the same time you're spending those dice and therefore losing them to lock in the monolith. And that just seems to appeal to to a different crowd of people. So yeah, in the so um yeah, in the Kickstarter, you get both um, two games in one box, cool. which I think is all important. You know, we, we want to offer something that's different from other companies. We want to offer something that's a bit special and, and you know, more, more bang for your buck, basically. Mm-hmm. And, and also exclusive to the Kickstarter is, is the fact that those token or uh, totem boards are available along with the 31 energy tokens and the art on the Kickstarter is exclusive to the Kickstarter. The, the retail release will have a, a completely different art uh, on the box. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the, the retail, the retail side of it is, is basically only if we get that far but we hope you know with them building up the interest on kickstarter first you know to get um, a decent number of copies out then we'll look again in the future to doing a retail version and yeah absolutely it would just be the three to four player game and the two player game on the flip side but we don't we don't intend at all to be um giving out the the totems and the tokens because to be honest a lot of the a lot of the demographic demographic of um people that would be going into a not necessarily even a game shop but you know we have bookshops that sell um games you know sell a selection of games you can find king of tokyo in there and pandemic in there and uh, x-wing miniatures game is about like the few that they actually sell they, w- they wouldn't sell agricola for example in these shops right but very much a basically sort of um that retail angle has to appeal to the widest audience and the the basic game is what would appeal to them the totems the spirit totems and the tokens and that more energy management the more sort of tactical side of it is much more of a gamers thing really so that's why we're offering offering it as a uh, an exclusive the only place else that we'd probably sell that would be you know at shows and that sort of thing you know for those that have bought the basic game and then want to look a bit further Sure. Okay. Uh, who did the art for the game? Because it's it's really stunning. I mean, visually very appealing. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Yeah, it's this guy called Ascari Lazos um, that's in Mexico. Uh, if I remember correctly, because all our artists are scattered all over the world, so sometimes <laughs> I forget exactly you know who's where. But yeah, Ascari Lazos, and um, yeah, we just I just stumbled across him on the web actually, and uh, you know places like uh, Deviant Art and stuff. Um, an art station is just superb for finding artists like this. And uh, yeah, we just got, we'd seen a few of his um, art pieces and it just sort of clicked. 
but we already had an idea for for the four different races and what we wanted them to look like but um we just sort of dumped that on Ascari and said <laughs> said right mate you know see what you can do with these and he just came up with these concepts that instantly they were just perfect i mean they were just on the on the same wavelengths it's fantastic and uh, just recently as you've probably seen there um the new art that he's just putting out which is um specifically for the energy totems for this this sort of expansion of the game um we've put the first one out just in the last couple of days and uh, a very good response from people and it's just again it's just astounding and it's just perfect it's exactly what we wanted so yeah Ascari's a great guy and um i was really surprised that we were able to just sort of meet head to head and it just worked so quickly because you hear all these stories you know that you you go back to an artist you get them to change something they come back to you you go well that's not exactly what i wanted and you go back to them again and it's you know that sort of process but no with Ascari, it's just like slam fantastic mate let's let's do that so yeah we'll definitely be working with him in the future <laughs> yeah. i hope i hope nice cool very cool um yeah the, the kickstarter video both of the videos, the uh, the trailer and then the you know video for the Kickstarter were really well. Do you guys have background in like you know video editing and like all that kind of stuff? Is is that some you know stuff that you guys have done before? Oh no no that's uh, not that's all totally new to us. <laughs> yeah no that uh, that stuff was done by um, a guy called Brandon Garver um, over in America actually that oh, okay. uh, we we heard about from a friend of ours just along the way who's. Uh, um, from inspiring games and they just did a kickstarter uh, at the end of last year um for their first game and uh and we really liked the the animation in their video and said you know who did you get it done by and so they passed us on to brandon and again it was a case of well we want it done like this this is a storyboard that's our plan off you go and do it and he came back and that was pretty much exactly what we wanted. It was fantastic. So yeah, we're really pleased with it, but it's a massive learning curve for us, us you know, we're, uh, we, we may be game designers and we've been in retail for years, but you know, a lot of this that, that we're doing, we're just learning by the seat of our pants as we go along, but it's great. Yeah, Kickstarter's a real beast for, you know, if, if coming into your, your, you know, your first experience, there's just so many nuances and all these, you know, little things. You have to have a video or don't have a video. You have to do, you know, release on a Tuesday or no release on a Friday, like all these, you know, crazy little things to, you know, notwithstanding yeah. just the actual work of the Kickstarter itself. Yeah, it's massively intense. And yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, you know, we're learning these things as we go along on a day-to-day -day basis you know even as the kickstarter is running we're still learning things you know i've already changed the um the front image that you see when you first go on the page you know and and it's fantastic you know that's what we really want to have the backers and have everybody speaking speaking to us coming back and commenting and saying well you know it would be better if you did it this way and and you know we don't think that's quite right and stuff because you know we're learning i think it's a learning curve for everybody and the backers are fantastic for doing that and the whole of kickstarter community you know that i could endlessly watch how to run a kickstarter video you know for the rest of my life but um but uh yeah so that's fantastic we're, we're learning as we go it's a cool. great experience that's good I'm, I'm glad you guys are having a good experience with that you know it's I, I think it's rare at this point to hear, you know, like really bad things about a Kickstarter as far as like, oh, this guy ran off with the money or whatever. Like it, it so far, you know, so good. I, yeah. you know, every Kickstarter I've ever been a part of is, you know, been, 
you know, run well, you know, just successful and, you know, all those sorts of things. So uh, it, it's good. It's good for, you know, it's nice to hear that you guys are having, you know, a similar experience as designers to go in and, and, you know, have that sort of positive, you know, feedback. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think the, the, yeah, the, the, the bad, the negative stories that you hear from Kickstarter, you know, they're very small. They're very, very small percentage of what's going on. And I mean, there's just such a phenomenal number of Kickstarters coming out every month. Um, you almost think that, that it would be saturated by now, even just in the tabletop gaming sort mm -hmm. of sector of Kickstarter. But, um, but no, and, and other other kicks other companies running kickstarters as well they're so so much more communicative um and supporting and helpful and that's again a fantastic thing about this hobby that we're all in you know that um everybody is fantastically supportive of each other and you know i mean we expected to perhaps get more negative feedback from reviewers you know oh, i don't like this game for this reason or it's too similar to this and uh, and generally they've all been really positive which is fantastic because um and you need that you need that sort of a buzz to keep you sustained you know to be able to absorb all this information and and be able to do a good job because nobody wants a half-assed job done definitely you know it's it would right. immediately impact on on you as a business of course and um so so having this sort of support we're all sort of buoyed up by the, on this wave of of um support and interest in the hobby as well so um we want to be a part of that. That's that's the bottom line. So <laughs> well, hey, support us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and then the bugger for you guys is right, like you know, UK and and Europe is you know just shipping. You know, I guess a large preponderance of Kickstarters are probably coming from the US. Uh, you know, shipping for you guys to you know get physical products is is just terrible. I mean, the just the post is is uh, is brutal with what they charge. Oh yeah, it is absolutely yeah, and I think that's really important. The logistics of, of not only the manufacture of, of gaming products, but the logistics of apps actually being able to get them around the world is so important as well. And um, yeah, you've really got to do your homework. That's really important. But we benefit from being very close to Europe, of course, uh, for the time being, anyway. <laughs> um, and uh, so. You know, we, we, there's there's big logistics companies that um, you know are shipping all around the world and uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's great. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, if we're going to get our products manufactured in China, for example, you know, it's a lot easier to get them from China across to the west coast of the U.S. than it is to get them all the way over to the U.K., for example, um, or into Europe. So yeah, it's a it's quite a a logistic nightmare but again you've got a lot of companies that have already done that they've been through that and they're happy to to speak with you and make recommendations on the best way that they found and i think it's a um it's an iterative process and certainly the the amazing stuff that uh, jamie stegmaier and um, james Maeve have done you know and putting that information out there on the web and just making it available to everybody for free that i mean you know we're all plundering that information for mm -hmm. um for what we need and it's just these guys are just they're they're heroes as far as we're concerned because they're they've already answered so many of the questions we'd otherwise be be out there asking sure so sure. great job cool uh what were some of the first games that you played what you know what kind of got you into the hobby were your parents gamers or you know how, how did it sort of come about for you 
Oh, right. Uh, no, not at all. No, my parents still wonder what on earth I'm up to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we started off, I started off um, role playing as a kid at school and uh, sort of took it from there. And it, but it was really only uh, when we went to university and Games Workshop was really sort of um, the, the company of the moment. And uh, this, this was in the days where they would actually be producing um, board games and um, boxed games and actually supporting them within the White Dwarf magazine. So that was that was just fantastic. And it so happened we were down um, in Plymouth and we had a really good group of gamers down there that would meet up like virtually every night. I wonder how we ever got any work done at all, to be honest, <laughs> because we were constantly with Space Hulk lying all over the floor in the flat and rushing off to somebody else's house because they'd set up Warhammer Fantasy Battle for some massive weekend <laughs> thing. And that was crazy. But we had a really good game shop down there. And uh, God knows where he was able to get these games because they were... There was stuff from Nova Games and Atlas Games and Avalon Hill and, uh, you know, the, these kind of companies that had been going for quite a while, but um, we certainly hadn't heard of. And uh, I was it was like Aladdin's Cave for us. So, yeah, we were always in there um, checking out stuff. And I still, I'm still gutted that I didn't just burn my entire month's um, sort of supply of food money on this, on this giant seven-headed hydra model that he had sitting in there and it was there for it was there for like six or eight months or something like that and every time i went into that shop i thought i've got to get this but i just couldn't justify the money for it and i kept because i kept myself now because i've never seen it since i don't know who it was by it was just a massive resin model of a of a hydra but it would have been absolutely awesome yeah. So, yeah so games um yeah, well, I mentioned things like the Games Workshop games, um, Space Hulk, we did a lot of that. But we, we we always did the role-playing on the side as well. But I suppose more recently, what's really actually triggered me into, um, well, triggered us into designing games rather than just simply playing games has been the Euro games like um, uh, Uri Rosenberg's uh, Agricola and, and those kind of games. And um, certainly they really sort of, show another side of gaming that we didn't know about the sort of very much the euro game and the resource management style of games and they were completely different and uh, so that's really sort of kicked off and so we're all furiously building up our collections of games you know and it's um another one that we really like i'm a real fan of the two brunos bruno Feduti and bruno cathala and um, so another one we just got recently is Mission Mission to Mars or Mission to Red Planet or something called something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we sat down to play that for the first time the other day and sort of sat back after 40 minutes and went, wow, that was so much fun. That was <laughs> excellent. And just nice, tight little game, you know, that's, that's perfect for that sort of time window. Um, so that's another good one. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of the Brunos. But there's 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 new companies, new designers coming out all the time that I'm just really impressed by. So when people say, you know, who's your favorite designer? It's such a really hard question to answer. Sure, sure. All right, and and what's the most rewarding aspect of game design? And conversely, what's the most frustrating? Ah, balancing, balancing the game is the most frustrating. And I think <laughs> you know all designers are going to say the same thing. Definitely. Um, yeah, that that and. Also, I think it's not frustrating, but it's um, 
it's something you've always got to bear in mind that however much you want to throw everything, the kitchen sink and the fireworks into a game, when it comes down to it, your playtesters are the ones that are going to tell you what you need and what you don't need. And so having to cut the game back to, to what they say is good enough is, I think, can be quite hard. But um, that's also a great positive as well. So you were saying positive and negative. That's also real positive for me is being able to present something to the playtesters and say, right, guys, what do you think of this? You've never even heard of this before. What do you think? And they'll play through it. And generally, they'll be positive. But I actually am really intrigued to hear the negative side. What what don't you like about it? What doesn't work? And I think that's a really positive thing is that's that's an evolving thing. Um, for us as game designers to be able to sort of listen and take that back and say, okay, well, we can change that. But it's it's fantastic. It's it's I can imagine it's very similar to writing a book, basically, but it's like writing a book where you're taking the, the story chapters to a group of people and saying, what, what do you think? You know, and, and you throw it out there and they come back with ideas to you and that sparks off more ideas and it's just an evolving process. And that that's that's fantastic. Cool. All right. I, we should probably ask what other things that you uh, you're working on right now. What what other stuff do you have in the pipe? Oh right, yeah. So um, so our second game that we've that's pretty much finished um, that we're going to be demoing down at Games Expo, um, and that's June, start of June, is uh, Gladiators or Gladiatores as it is, and um, that's a, it's another combat game actually, but it's a combat card game. Um, but there was a game. There's a story behind that because. There was a game that I picked up off the shelf donkey's years back by Atlas Games called Lunch Money. And it's just a card game where you have a deck of cards and each of them has a particular combat move, whether it's a punch or a kick or whatever like that. And uh, the idea is that you're all kids in the playground. I mean, this is far out as games go. It really is. You're all kids in the playground and you're beating each other up for the lunch money. (laughs) That's what you're doing. And we we used to, we used to we used to get drunk down in then Plymouth and then stagger home and just sort of if nobody felt like going to sleep <laughs> we'd just get our lunch money and it was just outrageous. But uh, I've always really in the back of my head and that's like that's twenty years back and so for twenty years this has been boiling in the back of my head that it'd be great to have a more modern rethemed combat card game that worked in the same manner. And so that's what Gladiatories actually is. It's a it's a combat card game that simulates that sort of up in your face, cut and thrust violence of of being actually there. Because I know there's a lot of there's been a lot of of gladiators sort of themed games that have come out, say, in the last four years or even more. You know, I can't remember when Spartacus, the TV series, came out, but it seemed to so almost be the trigger for for a run of these games. So I actually had that game pretty much done before Spartacus TV series even started. But I just sort of pulled back and said, no, you know, we're not going to just, we're going to be a tiny voice there. Nobody's going to notice us. So, so hold off. And uh, so we're bringing that back now. And um, as well as a combat card game, you're not actually playing a gladiator. You're playing the, the, the owner of the gladiator school, um, the Lannister and the trainer. And so, there's a lot of double dealing secret roles where you've got secret plans that you're not even telling your gladiators what you're doing and um, sort of other are the sort of uh, sort of back uh, in effect backstabbing of what's going on all simply to make enough wealth and glory 
to be accepted at the arena, uh, Caesars Arena um, in Rome. So although it's very much a combat card game and you're playing cards onto each other in sort of, um, it's it's a mass melee, obviously, if you can play it two-player, but it's much more fun when there's like five of them. Right. And uh, we even have planned to actually add in another extra two characters because this would be this is planned as for another Kickstarter. So we'd actually like to add in another couple of extra characters. And each one is a different style of gladiator. And you don't just always pay, play that one gladiator. They actually have to shuffle around because effectively, because each player is playing a school of gladiators, they then put forward one of their gladiators to fight in a particular event. But once that gladiator's had his fight, he's not going to be in any fit state to be able to fight in another one. So that forces the player to have to go through their their sort of set of gladiators and each gladiator has its own different style of fighting we've got obviously the classics in there like the mermio and the retiarius and the, the thracian and people like and hoplomach and stuff but and they all fight differently but as well as playing the gladiator in that fight you've actually got ulterior motives of what you're doing with that gladiator because you're actually secretly you might be secretly betting on another player because they've got better odds for this particular event than your character does. So you're actually using your gladiator to take a fall for the benefit of making money off him or glory off him uh, from another fight. And because the the events are uh, sort of auto-generated, they're randomly generated, so you never know exactly which one is coming up, then you've got to think tactically in terms of, well, which gladiator do I want to use for this fight? Because, you know, it's a middle-of-the-road fight. I'm only going to get this much glory from it, whereas maybe I should hold back my better guy for a better event, which is going to earn me more. And then within that, there's a mini-game that's basically to do with the glory that you're gaining from the crowd and from winning the events. And it's that mini game that actually works out your victory points towards actually beating the other players in total at the end of the game. But it's a lot of fun. Everybody would play test it with they, you know, they've been really surprised because you know they thought, oh, it's another combat card game. But but with the unique things that you're trying to do in the game and the fact that you're always second guessing the other players and you're thinking, what what seeker strategy is he working on? Because he's acting very strange and that doesn't that doesn't seem to add up, you know. See so, so although you're playing a combat card game, at the same time you're busy thinking what the other players are doing, thinking like, who are they who are they actually are they supporting me themselves? Are they supporting the others? Are they you know, are they tag teaming against us? What are they what are they up to? So and I love to see that, you know, that's great to watch um gamers play the game and, and you can see their minds working as they're trying to work out what everybody's up to. So yeah. that's that's our second one. Um, and then beyond that, uh, well, we've got quite a few. We've got another family game planned, um, which again is in, it just needs to be tweaked basically because it's finished um, and it's been play tested, but it just needs to be tweaked. Um, and that's all about insects um, buzzing around a picnic table. So oh. another complete offshoot from the other things that we do. But that's the thing, you know, I don't, I, we don't want to be nailed down as a, company that only produces a certain style of game a certain theme of game you know it's whatever intrigues us and the 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 idea with the insects is a bizarre one because i was at, heading away on holiday and down the south of england on one of the motorways this massive truck passed us completely white truck except for a cartoon fly on the side it was just like i don't even know what company that was it just had this <laughs> giant fly like print printed on the side of the truck and I was looking at that and thinking, that's really odd. And then we had two hours to wait for the ferry. And I, 
and my mind started going. I was thinking, you know, because we just played, um, we just played uh, five tribes. That was it. We played five tribes, and uh, that's another really clever game. And so my mind was thinking about that. I was thinking, yeah, there's a mechanic in there that we could use, but it'd be fun if we use actual insects on a picnic table. So then it all just you know splurged out of my head, and and that <laughs> that's where that one's come from. But uh, yeah, again, the playtesters they they really like that. So um, who knows? You know, you, you make up games. I think I think every designer probably has a shelf of half finished games, and uh, mm-hmm. I think that's just once you get the bug, that's that's the way it is. But have right. you designed have you designed any games yourselves, you guys? Uh, actually, Vince and I put a a Risk style board game together. It's probably 20 years ago now. I mean, this was in, in the age before Kickstarter and Indiegogo and all these different kinds of things. Um, so, it, you know, we submitted, you know, in those days to like, you know, an agent to, you know, shop it around to see whether or not it would be picked up. And, you know, it was rejected then. But, you know, it's it's kind of something that we've had sort of floating around in the back of our mind to like, hey, maybe we should, you know, sort of do this as a Kickstarter and see, maybe go back and revisit and, you know, retweak it and kind of go through everything and and see whether or not that's something we really want to pursue. Yeah, I think, oh, that's fantastic. And I think um, it's, yeah, it's one of these things that, the yeah, we've all designed games quite a long time back, but the whole hobby has evolved now that, that I find that we're going back and reviewing old games that were half finished that were just or just concepts written on paper and thinking you know what actually that there's a game that we played a year ago that would have the perfect mechanic that would fit to what we were trying to achieve which we perhaps couldn't have done then but now we certainly can you know and and, you know it's like like the idea of legacy games i'm really intrigued now we haven't actually started pandemic legacy (gasps) shock horror (laughs) <laughs> but uh, we're kind of we're kind of holding off that because that's you know that's a massive commitment and uh, you know we want to we want to do it right and make sure that we've got the commitment to keep keep that going. Um, but legacy games, you know, it's a fantastic idea. I love the idea. I'm always a huge fan of of Arkham Horror. A lot of people have sort of slagged it off more recently because different games that have come out that sort of a lot of people think do the same sort of thing better. But what I loved about Arkham Horror was just the total crazy random stories that would be sort of auto-generated by the game. And I still love that. And so for me, the sort of the idea of a, of a legacy game that has that random element that um, that will will generate different stories. So although, yeah, you know, it's it's like a replayable legacy game, if you see what I mean, in the way that sure. it's it's generating new stories when you go back and play it again. You know, I think there's a lot of mileage um, for those kind of games in the future, but they're going to be pretty heavy. Those are those are going to be big box games. But uh, yeah, I still love my Arkham Horror. Cool, cool. All right, before I let you go, I do have a thing at the end here. We call the final five. It's five geeky slash nerdy questions I want to throw at you. But All before right, okay, we, yeah. Um, where can people find you at? I have links in the show notes, but if you want to go ahead and fire away. Okay, yeah, so our website is badcatgames.eu as opposed to co-uk. Um, we're on Twitter as Bad Cat Games. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Um, link to us, share with us, um, comment. We love all, We love to speak to you guys. So, uh, yeah, please get in touch. Um, and, yeah, then on the Kickstarter page as well. Cool, and all those links are in the show notes. I always point, although there is actually no banner on this YouTube video, but... Perfect. <laughs> 
underneath there's there's uh, links in the thing. All right, so I will uh, I'll start these questions here for you. It's sort of a binary thing, although if you want to expound on your answers, that's cool too. <laughs> all right, I'll all do right, my so, best. All right, the first one is Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Wars. Okay, cool. Did you see Rogue One? Yes, yes. Did you like it? Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, because it was like going back to the old school days. And it's interesting because my brother is uh, a huge fan. He's even more of a of a Star Wars fan than I've ever been. And uh, he emailed me after it and said, so I've finally seen it. What do you think? So I said, oh, that was fantastic. I loved it. And he goes, yeah, I thought you'd say that. <laughs> <laughs> he said it was utter crap. So uh, so really surprised. Yeah, um, yeah, we loved it. The family loved it. So yeah, it's a thumb up from us. Cool. All right. Yeah, I went, I took my dad, we went to, to go see and he really enjoyed it and it kind of left me a little flat. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, I, but I've been, I've been a fan forever. You know, the prequels really kind of ruined everything for me. Yeah, um, you know, such a huge fan of the original trilogy. You know, Star Wars came out when I was five or something like that. So, you yeah. know, of course my parents went, I remember seeing it at the, at the drive-in and the box hanging in the window and all that stuff. Mm. And it just really captured the imagination. And then that garbage that he released. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We all just switched off. off at that point. Yeah. Totally yeah. switched off for quite a few years. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see with uh, the Han Solo movie coming out. Uh, you know, again, I'm cautiously yeah. optimistic, mm. um, but yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like that with with quite a few. You know, I mean, we grew up with the the Aliens series, which is mm -hmm. still you know absolute top favorites. Um, and then Prometheus came out, and we're all going like, "What? What the heck?" Yeah. Um, so we'll see what's happening with this next one. Um, you know, and Blade Runner, another example. You know, original Blade Runner. Not that anybody understood the end of it, but original Blade. <laughs> Blade Runner is awesome. So we're kind of, you know, really on the hedge as to as to what about the second one, but we'll go and see it anyway. Eh? Yeah. I don't, is it supposed to be a, a remake of the first one or is this like, it's it's a later story, right? It's like a follow-up? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's some kind of follow-up. Yeah. And Harrison Ford is still in it, isn't he? So so he's obviously going to play the old Deckard and uh, and then they've got this new guy, but you know, will it? Will it just be as iconic and kind of arty like the original one? I can't imagine it can be. Yeah, but, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. We, we've all got to go and see it anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I, I might go see the the new uh, Alien. I don't know. I, like you, I, I we went, you know, we saw Prometheus. I'm like, what the f Like, it's just so ponderous. Like, it, like, things that are happening don't make any sense. I'm like, you know, visually it's stunning. Like, okay, whatever. Mm. But, like, why is this happening? Like, this is completely, like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I might as well have just gone in there and written what in Biro across my head. And... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Although my brother, I guess he, he bought the extended edition, and I guess he said it, oh, really? it explained, you uh, know, maybe more of some of the things that were going on, but mm, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I ended up watching honest trailers just to get an explanation <laughs> of what was going on, the important bits. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, tabletop or video games? Oh, tabletop all the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty much the common theme through most most of the guests. <laughs> yeah, 
Although I do have to say that we're having huge fun playing Skyrim again because we play Skyrim on the PC. So um, it's completely modded modded up the yin yang. And uh, so my son is playing Skyrim, Skyrim at the moment with a predator character. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, and it's awesome. He has so much fun. It's totally OP, but he has so much fun with it running around as this predator in Skyrim, which unfortunately means there's a load of xenomorphs running around as well. So oh, I, start, I started up a new character and I immediately got owned by a xenomorph. It's like, <laughs> what? Where do these come from? It's like, which game am I playing? But yeah, that's a lot of fun. So, But it's, you can't do both, you know, and the social aspect of tabletops will always win out for us. Yeah, for sure. As it should. As it should. Yep. <laughs> Although I find when we're playing uh, board games, you know, more so than RPGs, it's it's like stony silence while people are like pondering their next move, and you're kind of like, you know, getting into your own head as far as like, you know, trying to deduce what somebody else is doing, and you know, sort of kind of plan things out. So like every once in a while, it's like, hey, what's what's going on? We're good, right? Like. You know? <laughs> Yeah, just checking everybody hasn't passed out or something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a there's a few there's a few that suffer from analysis paralysis over here as well, and that can be really tough on the other players. But you know, it's, so you've got to pick your games wisely. I think you know mm. to make sure that you don't have uh, these chunks of downtime as you're waiting for somebody to have their go. So yeah. I get you know that that's also something very important for us as a as game designers, I think, to try and keep it as interactive as possible because nobody likes to be sitting there thinking, well, I've got my strategy for the next five or six moves and I'm just waiting for you lot to do what I expect you to do, but hurry up about it, will you? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's interesting too. I was going to mention before and I forgot, but this reminds me, Um, you know, when you're rolling dice and elements, you can, uh, you know, make combos and then save them. So when it's not your turn, you're still sort of active depending on what other players are doing so it does kind of keep everyone involved you know throughout other people's turns as well so you're not just kind of sitting there waiting for your turn to come back around like well i've got one shield let's see what happens you know yeah that's absolutely the case and uh yeah i think it it tends to be more when uh when people are learning the game for the first time that they're they're sort of taking their turns quite quietly and thinking through what would be the best strategy, the best tactic of, of how they use their dice. But but once they've once they've learned the game, once they get into the game, and it's it's not a hard learning curve. I mean, it's a simple it's a simple sort of family friendly dice game. You know, it is for ages eight plus because kids, as as our most recent reviewer said, his kids loved it because they loved sticking it to their dad. You know, yeah. and they're not going to be they're not going to be sitting around waiting for dad or mum to think or, or anybody else to think like, oh, okay, this, oh, I could do this or I could do that. And the kids are going, come on, I want to hit you. you know? <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, I think that's really important. And, and certainly, yeah, that, that's the way Elements goes. And so, certainly with the, with the spirit totems and the tokens as well, the tokens actually play that up because you can just use tokens on other players. You know, you can... You can uh, uh, take on, take out some of that energy from your totem, and basically fire it out at the other players, forcing them to re-roll dice. You know, just when they've got a decent combo, and you're thinking, "I'm going to get this on the chin," you can suddenly say, "Hey, right, no, you're going to, you're not going to be able to do that. I'm going to muck, muck it up for you." So, yeah, much more interactive, to be honest, than than the sort of dice-based games that that I've played in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like zombie dice and those sorts of things. You're just kind of waiting for your turn to come back yeah. around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good example. Still fun. Still fun game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, there's still there's still times for zombie dice, definitely. <laughs> Especially like when you're at the bar. Like we picked it up at PAX and we just took it to the bar and we just played like on a little you know little table where we were at clinking off all the glasses and it. Yeah, you know, it's a good time. It has its place, you know. Yeah, definitely. No, that's that's an interesting thing as well because uh, at the Games Expo down in Birmingham, they they also use a, a pretty much the whole of the Hilton Hotel on the side as well, and because space to sit down is an absolute premium, everybody piles into the bar, and it's mm-hmm. so funny. It's so or it has been so funny in the past watching the bar staff like really sort of looking down on all of these geek gamers that are just like they're all over the floor they're getting games out on the floor and because there's no space to sit down and dice are going everywhere and and you know they're trying to i mean to be fair you know they're doing a fantastic job of trying to serve trays of drinks and food and stuff like stepping over people furiously playing carcass on (laughs) on the floor and uh but and I think it was kind of frowned upon for a while. It was, I, I seem to remember signs up saying, you know, no games allowed in the bar area, but hey, we're gamers. So that yeah. wasn't going to stop us. <laughs> and now they've just given up because it's just, yeah, everybody's piled in there and there's drinks and dice up going in drinks. And yeah, it's just insane. But it's a fantastic vibe there. So if you, if, I would say to anybody out there, if you get the chance to come over to Games Expo, then do so because it's, it's a blast. Yeah, I'm sure, very, I'm sure it's very much like PAX and Gen Con as well. So, yeah, similar atmosphere, yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Uh, DC or Marvel, <laughs> or Batman Ooh. or Marvel? I guess is the question. Really, is <laughs> oh, uh, that's a tricky one. Uh, it's, it's a bit of both, really. Yeah, a bit of both. I'm not a huge fan of that sort of stuff, um, but uh, yeah, this you know, I will always go and see that stuff when it comes out. So. Yeah, sure. either, either or. Okay. Marvel seems to really be hitting it, uh, you know, movie-wise where DC's kind of dropped the ball, but, you know, DC's kind of has that, the television aspect maybe a little bit more well-developed, it seems like. You know, you've got The Flash and Supergirl and all that kind of stuff going on. Gotham, which is, I guess, less yeah, right. really of like a superhero show, more of a, you know, sort of dark underbelly kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, well, to be honest, I think it's probably just just me, but um, we are playing sort of always playing catch up to these TV series. So, um, you know, you guys have been talking about them for years and, and we are sort of slowly catching up. So there's still a ton of series there that are sitting there that I need to furiously binge watch at some point <laughs> in the future. You know, if I, if I can find a way of getting 16 hour days in. Yeah, right. <laughs> I hear that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, sci-fi or fantasy? Oh, that's a hard one. Uh, mm-hmm. The the heart, I would, yeah, okay, I would say the heart is definitely fantasy, but the head is sci-fi. There, how about that? <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> well, and then you have the the blending of the two and things like you know Star Wars or like say Firefly, where you've sort of got that you know real legitimate crossover between the two. Absolutely, yeah, and I think you know. Um, that is again where we came from with elements you know because we've had we've had people saying well is it sci-fi or is it fantasy because i'm like i'm not a sci-fi fan i'm a fantasy fan or whatever but i would call it a sci-fantasy really you know because because where's the distinction nowadays yeah yeah Yeah, i think i think it's it's really great you know and so um you know science science fiction meets fantasy all the time nowadays and i think some of the most exciting stuff that's going on is from a mixture of the two so so somewhere in between for that one all right cool and if you could have one superpower what would it be <laughs> superpower uh, 
Invisibility is pretty awesome. I'd say. <laughs> yeah. All right. Although, although flying would be pretty good as long as I could actually get down to England a lot faster than six hours in the traffic jams <laughs> that we have over here. Yeah. Yeah. Then maybe that, that would, that would just pip it. Mm -hmm. I, I would definitely go uh, um, teleportation for the same reason. I hate being ah, in the car or something terrible. Yes, yes, so if no, I could just you go. Yeah. bamf out, yep. <laughs> well, I was thinking, yeah, about that. You know, what, what if the whole human race had teleportation? What a complete disaster that would be. It'd be a nightmare. You'd be trying yeah. to talk to people and they would suddenly go, oh, hang on, I've left the iron, <laughs> iron on, I've left the kettle on, and poof, bath, they <laughs> So I think it'd be a disaster. Society would collapse around our ears. Possibly. Oh, well, possibly. You'd, never, you'd, you'd never be at work, right? So you go to work, you check in, you know, you clock in, you say hi to the boss, you get your coffee, bam, you're in, you know, you're in London or you're in, you know, wherever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would be pretty awesome. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, that's all I have. Uh, it was a pleasure to, to have you on and get a chance to talk about elements. Um, you guys have yeah, sitting at 20 here. 21 days left. You guys are just about a third of the way there, pushing uh, close yeah. to 100 backers now. So we encourage everybody to go and uh, and check that out. And uh, you know, if you like it, uh, you know, go ahead and uh, you know throw your money at it, and let's uh, let's help these guys get this project funded. Sounds good to us. Absolutely. Uh, I'll throw out all of our information here. So if you like this interview, you can find this and all of our other cool stuff at legendsoftabletop.com. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can reach out to us at legendsoftabletop at gmail.com. We're on uh, Instagram. We're also on Twitter. There's a Tumblr. You can find us on uh, whatever your favorite podcatcher is. We're probably there. Of course, we're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, all those things. Uh, if you could leave us a review or a rating on iTunes or any of those other places, that would be fantastic. That helps us out a ton. And uh, we appreciate you guys checking this out. And we'll catch you next time. See ya. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop broadcast network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.